Welcome back to another episode of the Excellence Cartel. Ladies and gentlemen, we are joined by Coach Mayor from Scooby Prep. We've had her on Ooh. when we had the Meredith. God, just call her Coach Mayor. Shit. All right. Well, <sighs> just way to interrupt me. It's because you don't like my mustache. That's what this is all about. You don't like this mustache, so you're like, I'm gonna interrupt them and fuck all them I up. said was, Woo, woo, was that, was that an interruption? Uh, I felt like it was, you know, you could have just like stammered <laughs> in there a little bit decent, My bad, anyway. Man. Fine, it's fine. Well, I've got your undivided attention, sir. Can I have your last seven days, please? All right, guys, we have a bit of an epidemic here. Well, we have an epidemic from Sue's phone, but how's your last seven uh, days? That's, uh, me playing one of Goob's videos, anyways. Carry on, dude. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. sorry. Um, not as important yeah, as these videos. Days. Let's think about that. Um, geez, I don't know. I don't. I'm, I'm trying to think. It's all a blur. What did I do this weekend? Oh, we had a bunch of soccer games for Maddox. Got his piano recital. I went to dinner with my mom over my mom and dad's. You know, he has Parkinson's. It's it's kind of kind of tough, kind of rough on her. She wanted to see us, so we made it happen. Um, business is solid, but it's that time of year where I'm getting a few cancellations, like. Well, you know, I got this going on. I got this going on. I'm not really going to be on point. So I'm wasting your time. And it's like, all right, whatever. Um, but I've had some new signups too. Um, mentorship group five has 10 people in it. I would really like to put 15 in, um, but we're ready to roll for November 14th. If that's all I get is 10, it's totally fine. But if you're out there listening and you want an affordable way to learn functional medicine, uh, functional nutrition, I should say, uh, hit me up. Um, I promise you after 16 weeks of the course, you'll be able to handle some of the tough cases out there. Um, I think that's it, man. Um, just, you know, getting on with it. I think that's it. All right. Jeffrey Sue, how's your last yeah. seven days been? Last seven days have been very, very good. Um, my client, Eric Alper, he uh, took another win at the New Englands. Uh, he won middleweights. Um Looked very impressive. We improved from his overall win at the East Coast Cup. But unfortunately, he lost the overall to a super, a very well-conditioned, well-shaped super, which is yeah. rare, um, who is a client of Jose Raymond's, who trains me. And so it's just like, you know, everyone knows everyone, and everyone's working hard. So it was a great show um, at the New England's. Um, other than that, um, I'm about 10 days out from finally getting my Porsche. So that's really exciting. They're going to get the title ready for me to sign and the plates and everything. So that's coming in about, you know, probably under two weeks because it takes a couple days for the, the title to come from Germany. Um, other than that, I've had a lot. I actually have had a lot of renewals, um, a lot of people paying in full and taking advantage of the um, the little discounts that I have on my website. So I had a guy sign for six months today. I had another six month renewal. Laura has a couple consults. I had three consults yesterday. So that's good. I'm creating, um, I'm, I finished the PCOS presentation for, uh -huh. um, for PEC and I'm gonna be working on the consortium presentation next and I'm going to build out the um the um coursework for my group mentorship in January. So things are things are busy but I'm handling it. Other than that everything everything else is good. Can't complain. Sweet. What do you think of my mustache? I think you should either go rob a bank or mm. go to Minnesota and go to Minnesota. 
Minnesota okay. and go ice fishing. Oh, all right. All right. I won't even ask Jason what Jason thinks. He already let me know before we began. I, I just hate mustaches. It's fine. You can just you hate away. You have a mustache guess. too, though, Jason. I have a beard. Yeah, but it's part of it. Yeah. Like no, it's a beard. Like, if, if, if it's like, trimmed in a mustache, it's what, a mustache. What if I had a mustache? Look at this. What would that look like? I think it'd be pure sex and you should do it and join me. You should just, just like holding me. my face like I'm it's like not thick enough. Glamour <laughs> shots ain't got shit on you, baby. That's all I know. Um, <laughs> you throw a thick mustache, don't do it. Oh well, this yeah. thing is this thing is yeah. thick. No, you're good. Yeah, no, it's like James Hetfield Metallica. Good. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um. So my last seven days, very low key. I have been uh, challenged by many drivers on the Nashville roads in my Supra. And I've only lost huh. once so far, and it was to just some tripped out Shelby GT or something that once we got up to 130 on 840, he kind of blew my doors off and started escaping from me. But I have yet to come up on a Porsche. So, Jeff, maybe in the future we'll meet halfway and we'll race for slips one day. I've, I feel like Paul Walker's kind of invaded my body, and I feel like I'm handling the Supra in a way that would make him proud. But other than that, I had a very low-key weekend, didn't do much, and it was much needed. Jeff, is that rear wheel drive or is it all wheel? It's rear wheel. Rear, okay. Yeah, it's 0, 060 and 3.8. So Keegan wants to become a mechanic. So all he does is like airdrop me YouTube videos about all the mods we're doing to the Supra. I'm like, bro, like let's get closer to like the uh, warranty going off the engine and things like that before we're like ripping the turbo charge off. He's like, look, we could do a cold air intake filter. And he's like showing me mods we can do off of the phone. And I'm like, that screw with uh, something to do with you. And, and who's going to do these? He wants to learn. He wants me to send him some mechanic thing. I'm like, bro, you've got Dungeons and Dragons with your girlfriend. You've got school that you're actually not sucking at anymore. Guitar practice and drama club. Like, where's this going? He's like, we'll figure it out. I'm like, okay. All right. <laughs> I like your confidence. So um, anyway, it's been, uh, it's been cool having that. Um, Meredith, before I get to your last seven days, what do you think of my mustache? I like it. It looks good Ooh. on you. Yes, that's what all you. the women have said, Jason. It's a vibe. It's a I'm vibe. Tell you it looks like shit. Oh, she would tell me the truth. We had that conversation. Be like, look, you look like shit. You're out there. You're trying to command the respect of the ladies. Shave it. She would say that. I feel like Meredith would say that to me. I would. I would. All right. Well, the reason I'm doing it is because, you know, November's November for men's health awareness. So at the gym, we're all doing mustaches or doing no shave November to raise awareness for men's health issues, primarily on our case, uh, mental health. So we have a lot of first responders, military in our gym. And so what we're doing is we're donating all the proceeds for anyone who signs up, all the supplement sales. Um, so if you're a new ethics listener, we do carry new ethics products. If you want to order through us and support yeah. our cause. Um, and then whatever we raise, I'm going to match and we're going to personally, and we're going to donate it to the Metro police department. They have a group that works with suicide prevention for first responders. So that's what we're doing. So I shaved the stash to show support of all those bros out there. So it's pretty cool. We got the, some of the mirrors in the gym actually have the statistics of suicide for men on it. Um, so we've made the whole gym about men this month. So. It's a pretty cool cause. Yeah. Oh, thank you. So I'm glad now I make Jason feel like shit for hating on my stash. But anyway, um, <laughs> Meredith, how's your last seven days been? My last seven days have been pretty damn awesome and full, like very full, oh. um, very full. Um, okay. I, like full disclosure, I had surgery ten days ago, so 
still recovering from that. I took my first official week off from work. I communicated with my clients what I needed, what I expected, what I wanted to give. And it went beautifully. Um, So yeah, it's, my husband retired officially from the military. And oh, congratulations for his service. Yep, 23 years. So it was an early retirement. So can you get out of that shithole now? <laughs> yeah, can you can you leave? Yeah, well, definitely the uh, restrictions on COVID and stuff are done, I think, as, as of October. So we're finally out of it up here, which is great. Um, so yeah, it's been a lot of a lot of changes. So seriously, a lot are, you of moving, are you guys staying? Sorry? Are, are you moving or staying? We have actually decided we're going to stay for another year. We're going to be civilians. Um, it was a lot. We started that we were going to be moving to Florida and we were committed to that. We started looking for homes and we were biting off quite a lot. And mm. we decided once he was getting to be retired that perhaps some things were changing with just him being retired and having full autonomy of his life, mm. his time. Cause a lot of the restrictions that we had were about that. And so we're going to rent uh, somewhere here in Ottawa for at least the next year and try to be smart financially. Cause right now renting in Florida is not, uh, not super duper. <laughs> what part of Florida? Uh, we were looking or like around the Tampa area. Oh, or- good. You didn't want to go near Gainesville. They suck. They're home in the Florida Gators. You don't want to go there. No. Yeah. Well, my no. sister is that over sounds good. near Melbourne. So we were also oh. looking, we were okay. looking towards that area as well. But we were going to rent, right? And most of the places that we were looking to rent were like for Canadian was like almost like 4,000 Canadian a month. Hmm. <laughs> that kind of hurts. So... We said, yeah, okay, but you, you can just convert the money to American when you get here, right? I mean, we lose it. We lose money. Yeah. Oh, by converting everything. Okay. Yeah. So we just decided to rent as civilians here for another year, be smart, save up, and then be able to move a little bit more comfortably. So what happens? We pay you with American dollars. Does that get converted at the bank to Canada? Yeah. Are you serious? Deadly. Damn. And then when you come back in, God. it's going to be worth less. Yeah. Wow, that sucks. <laughs> that so sucks. I feel bad for her. Jason. She needs I pay raise. You bet. Like I, on the air, we're going to be getting you a raise like, right now for the currency cash. problem. Just mail her cash. Just mail her cash. Did you just figure out how currency exchange works? No, I know. I mean, I know how it works. I don't. I didn't know which way it went. With it Canada went for Canada. Us. I know what you mean. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The dollar. Yeah, the the Canadian dollar yeah. goes. Well, the dollar, the U.S. dollar will go further in in Canada. Yeah, yeah. So when we convert down, it's it's pretty brutal. It's a pretty brutal yeah. conversion. Like if, so if, if, if what I'm what I'm going to pay up Paris. here. Yeah, I'm going to be paying you know probably about like two thousand dollars rent. What I would be paying almost four thousand in the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, wow. it's like I think the euro now is like one to one. I think before yeah. it was almost like one to two. Going over to Europe, the U.S. dollar would be like fifty cents. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if it was that high, but it was something. Something. It was bonkers there for a while. Like that's yeah. for sure. Because I was still paying on my student loans in the U.S. 
Yeah. That hurt. <laughs> oh yeah, right. Yeah. God bless. People, you should pop for that forgiveness it. shit going around. Just go ahead and do it. Everybody else's just jump in. I'd get forgiven at this point. If I <laughs> yeah, still had yeah. it, I'd lie about my income and be like, no, I make like thirty-seven thousand a year and I'm poggered. I mean, I just talked to Jeff Sue's account and be like, hey, look, I know you let things fly on the radar. So <laughs> here's like 25 <laughs> pairs of Jordans I'm claiming and some other shit. <laughs> Sign it on in. Uh, I tried to put commercial plates on the Porsche, but that won't happen. Uh, <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> of course you did. Of course you did. Okay, so Meredith, I think it's probably important we get into our topic where we will be rousing, <laughs> jousting each other for the remainder of this podcast. But today we want to talk about perimenopause. And this uh, is something that a lot of women have questions about. Like, what the hell is the phenomenon known as perimenopause? And I think depending upon who you follow, you might hear 40,000 different things and a lot of confusion and just a lot of women don't really know what it is and where to go. So I'm going to turn it to you to kind of break it down. And then if you want to talk about like, you know, what the ages are, because, you know, you get some women who get it confused with menopause, right? So let's kind of like differentiate between uh, on those two. Yeah. Well, first for, as Jeff said, depending on who you go to and probably even depending on us talking here on the podcast, we're all going to have our difference in experiences because of the females we've worked with. So perimenopause is a period of time that can last anywhere from two years to 12 years. It is a range of time. There is no day that you wake up on November 2nd and every female is congratulations, you are in perimenopause. If, <laughs> yeah, if it were only that simple, right? Um, it has been coined as a second puberty of sorts because mm -hmm. it's very similar, but a little bit reversal as a our first puberty when we were teenagers. During this time, our hormones are fluctuating. So it is no, there is no rules in perimenopause. And I really want that to come across that there is no set. This is the way it will go. And I want to say that coining anything as normal, that's going to be really rough as well, because what is normal for one female is not perhaps going to be normal. And does that mean that she's abnormal? Absolutely not. So there's certain things that we can look for. So for example, during perimenopause, I would say a good age range would be thirties to 50, potentially depending on the female, something that we are seeing more and more of just because of, I personally feel personal feelings of our society, uh, perhaps the last couple of years, is we're starting to see many females enter this period or range of perimenopause even earlier. Um, I will probably couple that to some adrenal adaptation, stress, and all the things that go inside with that. But just because a female enters a perimenopause time of fluctuation around your 30s does not mean it's abnormal if someone begins at say in her forties. And so what we're going to start seeing is perhaps mood changes. Maybe that's it. Maybe we start to see your cycle length getting shorter. Maybe we see it getting longer. Maybe we see it getting heavier. Maybe we see it getting lighter. Mm. Uh, perhaps we see weight gain. We see weight loss. Um, typically textbook, we're going to start to see a slow decline over time of progesterone. We're going to start seeing less ovulatory cycles. 
Well, that's also going to depend on where you were previously during your actual ovulatory years, we'll call it. How is your uh, stress? How is your actual cycles? How is your nutrition? How are your genetics? And so this is why I say perimenopause is going to be a huge range of time of fluctuations that we can never necessarily pinpoint, hey, yes, you are absolutely in perimenopause unless we can. And I know that's very confusing, but it's really true. Some females kind of fluctuate up and down. Other females have this really nice transition where we can say, you know what? We're starting to see changes in your menstrual cycle. You are starting to have some symptoms of mood changes. Maybe perhaps we're seeing insulin sensitivity changes, perhaps um, other you know memory changes, body changes. And we can say, hey, I think because of where you are in your age and your symptoms, perhaps you're in this perimenopause time period. After perimenopause, that's where we have actual menopause. Menopause is a time frame after you have not had a cycle for, or a menstrual bleed cycle, auditory cycle for one full year. So what happens if you don't have a cycle and it's been nine months and then you have a cycle? Congratulations, you are not in menopause. Menopause you are technically textbook, not in until after you have not had a cycle for a full year. That being said, if you were 20 years old and you haven't had a cycle in a full year and you have gotten lab work done and your hormones are what we'll say rock bottom or very low, are you in menopause? Absolutely, probably not. <laughs> because of just looking at your age. This is where I would say we have to consider where you are in your phase of life as a female. But there is no, on this birthday, you become perimenopausal. On this birthday, you become menopausal. Mm -hmm. Everything really is very individualized to that person. And I think what we can hope for is that any female entering any phase of their life is that we're entering it in a, the best possible place that we can, that we are looking after our nutrition. We have stress management under play. We're looking after all of our health phases. Doing those things is going to set us up for a better outcome during a time period where we should be seeing hormonal fluctuations. It is not abnormal to have hormonal fluctuations. Do they have to be erratic Absolutely not. Is it abnormal for them to be erratic? Absolutely not, depending on the individual. That's where it takes, I think, individualized coaching and looking after that female's history. What are some, <clears throat> God, my voice, Whoa. it just cracked. I hit puberty that right there. That yeah, that's second puberty. <laughs> oh, wow. wow. All right. I got caught. Anyway. Um, what are some changes in menstrual cycle that women should be considering? Because oftentimes they're very vast. So what are ones that usually just kind of go like, hey, these are pretty solid ones that say the path you should be walking? Yeah. So I actually had a consult with a client yesterday and she is a female in her mid 30s. She's 35. And we do regular consults and we have been tracking her cycle. So I'm going to say that number one, if you are a female and you're not tracking your cycle monthly, marking how many days you are bleeding to the next bleed, you need to start doing that because otherwise anything that we say on this podcast, you're not going to know any changes. You're just going to be going, well, I think so. 
just go ahead and start tracking it. So for her, she's a female and her, she's a female who's 35. And we started to notice that her cycle went from 30 days to now it's 35 days. Her actual bleed time is the same, but that's a change. And that's a significant change. And then looking at her lab work, we also started to see some changes with adrenal function, hormonal changes. And so I said to her, these are some possible scenarios that could be going on. Because you are a female in your mid thirties, could we be seeing some changes as far as the length of your cycle? So day one, the first day you bleed to your next day you bleed, which is your full cycle length. Could we be seeing changes in that because you're a female in your mid thirties and you possibly could be entering perimenopause to which we're seeing some changes in adrenal function that could be affecting that? Absolutely. Or we could just be a one-off and starting to see some stress. And this is where tracking your monthly cycle is going to be super important. So seeing cycle length, full length changes, as well as even the length that you're bleeding. So if for you, for most females, anywhere between three, and I'm going to say seven-ish days is normal. There is no, you have to bleed five days. You have to bleed seven Correct. days. Three to seven days, I'm saying pretty typical. If that changes and you start having a bleed that lasts 14 days, that's a significant change. If you start to bleed two days, that's a significant change. But if we don't know these metrics by not tracking them, then we truly don't know. Jason or Jeff, anything you guys would like to chime in or pepper in on that point before Um, we go to any differences or things to understand? Uh, Well, I mean, I, I would like to talk about lab work. I mean, yeah, um, what, what does, what might you see on someone's lab work who's in perimenopause? Yeah. So looking at perimenopause, you might see changes in LH and FSH. If you're running those, which every female, when you're running lab work, you need to, every female, you need to be running LH and FSH. If you're running. What days work. do they need to do this on? So this is where it's going to be dependent. I personally do suggest that we're running lab work and we're running like a full encompassing panel. I just personally suggest that we are running it in that post ovulatory period. So again, most people say between day 19 and 22, that's going to be indicative to the female. And this is where you're tracking your cycle. I'll say a little bit more specific running lab work, a full panel of lab work, about five to seven days prior to your day one of bleed is going to be a really good starting point. If we want to get really specific and start looking at just like LH and just FSH, which I truly feel like we're probably going to be looking at more so with like fertility cases, that's where we're going to be looking at like more like our day three of our cycle. But I'm going to say if we're going to be doing a full panel, which I really, really suggest I would say for any female to do that at that five to seven day mark prior to your day one of your bleed, that way we're looking at progesterone when it should be at its most abundant because it's post ovulation, we should start to see the estrogen declining as it should be because progesterone should be um, rising during that time. And we can look at LH and FSH during that time as well. Um, If we don't hit it right, we might actually, and this is where I say, be very careful Um, because I have had a couple clients where when they have had changing cycles, because they are in perimenopause, we've done the best we could at saying, Hey, this is what your typical cycle has been. Let's aim for these days to run your labs. Now, with that being said, I've had 
two clients where we actually nailed it on their LH surge. And we saw that and was that saying, hey, listen, your LH is rising. You are 100% perimenopause. Absolutely not. Because what we could see based on their labs previous was that their LH was fine the previous month. Estrogen was fine with a normal range. But on this one cycle, we hit it where estrogen actually had spiked and we saw it high. Progesterone had not risen yet. And LH also was high. We had really had nailed the LH surge. So this is where I would suggest for lab work, getting lab work, if possible, several times, maybe like two or three sets of lab work before you commit to any type of, you know, I am in perimenopause. And this I know can be tough, but that is going to be my best suggestion just because there is such fluctuations in cycle links. Mm, Yeah. Um, do you want me to add anything, Jeff? Dude, fire away. This is a collaborative effort. Mm, okay. All right. Well, um, yeah, because, you know, the menstrual cycle is so individual and, you know, also because the medical care for women is so abysmal, um, it, it really falls upon each woman to take their health into their own hands and be aware of what a healthy cycle looks like for mm-hmm. them individually and, and begin to take note of those trends in their menstrual years so that when they do reach that age where genetically perimenopause, you know, takes place, they are more in tune with what's normal and what's not, you know, cause some women, they experience spotting, you know, some women start experiencing heavy periods. Um, so the balance between estrogen and progesterone varying amongst each woman individually can contribute to a lot of different symptoms that women get in perimenopause. Um, so being aware of trends is very important. And then in terms of lab work, like Mara said, um, LH, luteinizing hormone and follicular stimulating hormone, both from the hypothalamus are helpful. You're going to see FSH go up uh, higher, higher levels when women are you know, reaching menopause. Um, then there's anti-malurian hormone you can check. Um, SHBG, sex hormone what, binding. What, what is that hormone? For the listeners who would be because anti-malorian hormone is basically a hormone along with inhibin B are hormones that measure basically the oocyte count. So the number of eggs that you're born with, right? The the oocytes. Um, women are born with like a set number of eggs, like upon birth, and then the, that number just doesn't really change, and so that decreases over time. And those hormones can track basically what your ovarian reserve is. So those are hormones to check. And then finally, there's SHBG, sex hormone binding globulin. That will go up um, when you get older. That's a hormone produced by your liver. It's a binding globulin. Women have more of it than men do. That's why women's testosterone levels, free testosterone is lower, but they also have lower total testosterone as well. So those would be the lab markers that I would check. Are there any other ones that people should consider uh, or women should consider? Like, are we, what about like four point cortisol test? Like, oh, okay. where, where, like, okay. So you're going to all that. Okay. So let's break that part down. Why would you do a four point cortisol test and what comes before the other, or are they both done at the same time? Well, I'll, I'll say a little bit and then I want Merit to be the star of the show here um, and chime in there. But basically your adrenal glands will take over. Women's adrenal glands will take over and start producing more of the sex hormones, even during menopause. So the adrenal glands produce like, I think it's like 25% testosterone, and then the ovaries do the other, and the other 50% is due to like peripheral, like conversion and the fat. That's why like when you, when you get really, really lean, 
your your sex drive goes down, your hormones go down. That's because a lot of testosterone is produced like in, in fat b- via like DHEA sulfate conversion. So then like cortisol can go up, women get sleep problems. I mean, low estrogen impacts that, low progesterone can as well, but Mayor, take it away. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm uh, 100% on board. I would even yeah. just add like what he was saying as far as androgens, that's something too, <laughs> oh ladies, uh, that's something too we can see a lot with females. Um, some females as we actually see androgens start to rise. Um, the body is so awesomely smart, even though it's not to our favor always, it's yeah. really trying sure. to do its best effort to essentially save us. Um, mm-hmm. But we can start to see androgens rise because here again, the body is trying to produce hormones and it will try to do that through aromatization. Um, but we can also see that affecting insulin. And so this is where we start to get into that inflammation piece. So with regard to running lab work, for me and my clients, I personally always recommend running a full complete lab panel. So like CBC, CMP, fasted insulin, um, ferritin A1C should always come on there as well, like GGT, um, for sex hormones, FSH, LH, estrogen, um, testosterone, free testosterone, SHBG, DHEA, uh, cortisol, AM, I think I covered thyroid, thyroid, yeah, thyroid. So TSH, free T4, three, uh, free T3, reverse T3, TPOA, B, uh, thyroid globulin antibody. Um, I think that, I think that is all of that. If we can get homocysteine, that's always great. That's kind of, you know, accessory. Um, I recommend doing a full- Why do you like that one? Sorry for homocysteine. Why do you like that one? Yeah. I like looking at it for a full on body inflammation as well as immune response. Um, Especially this time, like I mentioned, when it comes to females entering perimenopause, when we alluded to just hormone changes- just to take us back a little bit, we have to think about what those hormones are doing to our body. So this is a time of recomposition within our immune system. And this is also why like Jeff, you alluded to the cortisol panel, why that is also really important because when we Mm -hmm. are seeing these immune changes and why I need to see antibodies is we can also see during this time with immune changes, perhaps autoimmune issues start to arise. We can start to see like allergies arise because the body is reshifting how it deals with essentially stressors to the body. And this is where we can see underlying even genetic situations just kind of unfolding something like even like Epstein-Barr virus that has been dormant. We can start to see that changing you frequent sicknesses because the body is recomping internally. Our brain is changing how it handles things because progesterone is declining because estrogen is also declining. Mm -hmm. So this is why, I suggest looking at all labs together because if we just look at a CBC and we just look at estrogen progesterone and say a fasted blood glucose, what does that really tell us? It, it, it not, to me, it doesn't tell me really much of anything because I don't know why those look like that. If we can start putting the pieces together like a puzzle, um, it can be a lot more indicative of what's happening within the body. And like you said, with the, with the cortisol, if we can run a Dutch adrenal, that would be fantastic because then we're looking at total cortisol metabolized our metabolites. We're looking at free versus cortisone. We're also looking at that diurnal pattern and what that's doing. That being said, one more piece, if we are in a position where a female is needing HRT, this might be where I also suggest doing a Dutch complete 
do I suggest always doing everything? No, this is where it's going to be individual to the client and the client's budget, where the client's at. If we're still working on food basics and nutrition, am I truly going to be recommending a Dutch complete? Probably not. I'm going to say, hey, are we eating protein four times a day? Are we drinking, you know, water? If we're not doing those things, I'm not going to say, hey, let's spend $300 on a Dutch complete because you aren't set up to really handle the results and what those results mean. Although I will also say for some clients, maybe they need that buy-in. And so this is where it's going to come down to the individual and the female and really working with where she's at in her perimenopause journey and how she wants to be later. Yeah. I think you'll get some clients who kind of are dead set on just running the whole gamut. Like, GI map test, you know, Dutch, the whole nine yards, just knocking it out. And then you get some that are like, hey, yeah, I don't even know where I really want to start, but I want to start somewhere. And you kind of go from there. I did like how you brought all that up, how it's very dependent. And I wanted to ask a question, you know, each of you, when you guys get your clients who are, you know, perimenopausal, I guess, do you guys wait a certain amount of time before you talk to them about this? Like if they don't come to you, and right off the bat talking, you're like, I have these issues, but they just want to hire you to work with them. And you start going through and get their biofeedbacks and working on stuff. At what point along the journey as a coach, do you individually begin to talk to them about this stuff? So, Because not a lot of clients are aware that they can do this kind of depth to understand and tease things out. So Meredith, I'll start with you on that. Then Jeff and then Jason to wrap up, if you guys don't mind. I started the first consult. Um, okay. I I started the very first consult. I talked to them about where they're at and where we can go based on where they want to go. Um, but I also make sure that I educate them on why it is important to look after their hormonal health, not just to look at a lab range and say whether it's low, high, and oh, I want to be here, but why does it matter? Because the why behind whatever I do is going to be fuel for them to achieve their goals. And so that has to be paramount. So I make sure I talk to them about that from the beginning, but I let them know because it's overwhelming. I say, Hey, it is my job to get you there. And we're going to do that by taking these necessary steps to do that. And through communication with you. Mm, that's good. In the beginning, um, I usually have them take a hormone questionnaire it's just a standard questionnaire. It comes from the book, The Hormone Cure by Sarah Gottfried, which I think every coach at this point has out there. But um, should, you know, yes. one, one point about that questionnaire is that it, it, it very nicely breaks down, you know, symptoms and, you know, oh, it could be low estrogen or high estrogen. But the only caveat and where you want to be careful is that don't take it for, for word. Don't say that, oh, just because of this symptom, it's definitely low estrogen. Because if you look really closely, a lot of those symptoms appear in multiple categories. So you have to string the symptoms together to get the real narrative and story and not just say, oh, they checked out two boxes here. Okay, they're kind of low progesterone. Hmm. They checked out three here. It's going to be low testosterone. That's probably not always true. Um, other than that, I work the habits first. I don't make people get lab work. I used to do that. I used to throw it all in. Let's go complex. Let's go all in. I charge them a lot of money for a lot of coaching, a lot of calls. But you know what? I changed all of that. I flipped it on its head and I work the basics now. And I can get a lot done without even doing lab work at all. And lab work is almost like a polishing effect once we've worked all the basic habits, which a lot of women have not developed 
even into their 40s and 50s. And now they're looking to change their bodies. Um, so that's how I do it. Jason, what about you? First consult? Yeah, I mean, anymore. I mean, I'm going to hop on a call and, you know, I'm going to talk to them about what's going on. And it starts to become pretty evident based on age and what you're hearing. Um, but, you know, as far as labs, I like to see them up front. Um, it's just a difference of opinion. Um, sure, if someone can't fucking drink water or eat a protein every four meals, sure, I won't do labs. But most of my clients can do that. So I'm not working on basics. I'm working on people that have dieted all their life and they know how to count a macro and I need the labs. So I get, I get the fucking labs. <laughs> I do. <laughs> um, so, you know, difference of opinion, difference of way to doing things, but yeah, the first console is going to come out. Um, and honestly, because I do so much with the classes and stuff, I'm sought out by that demographic and it's, you know, they already kind of have an idea. So. Okay. Yeah, I have a question for you, Jeff. Do you mind if I ask Mary a question? No. All right. In no. your populations that you've coached, right? Have you seen like higher, almost like PCOS like symptoms in perimenopausal female clients where they're highly stressed and they're also overweight? So they have more of that adipose tissue, DHEA, sulfate conversion to androgens. Have you seen that? Absolutely. All the time. That Absolutely. is. It's almost like a subset, like it's not quite PCOS, but it's like, you yeah. know, it, that's like, I would say, I mean, 80% of perimenopausal women also have poor insulin sensitivity, poor yeah. hunger regulation, poor gut health. So, you know, the increment secretion is all messed up. Um, it's, like, it's so connected though, because like, think about it, like estrogen, yes. like estrogen is responsible. So a lot of people are like, oh, estrogen, your skin, what is your skin people? So think about like leaky gut. So for losing estrogen or having fluctuating estrogen, that's going to make our gut more permeable. Like, so yeah. all those things, like this is, I don't know. I love so this cool. stuff. You I know, it. I think it's so fascinating, but this is where you put the pieces together and you're like, hell yeah, this makes sense. So yeah, totally. So how, how do you like, if you can break down, like, how would you approach someone in that case? Like, what do you hit first? Like the insulin sensitivity or the, the cortisol response or the conversion? Like, how do you attack it? I go for inflammation. So I go for the inflammation depending on the client. So absolutely. I would say that I'm going to couple insulin and inflammation together. And that's the first thing that I go after. I find that going after that you tend to kind of solve the smaller problem, not smaller, but the other problems start to diminish. And then you can have like the lower hanging fruit that you can go after. Gotcha. Um, my other question, one more, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> In terms of like, when you get like spotting, right? When you have women who they can't sleep and they're spotting, they, they feel dry, right? How are you troubleshooting that? without using any sort of like an estrogen suppository or any sort of oral estrogen or estrogen in general. So with spotting, like, what do you mean specifically with spotting? So like like Mid-cycle, is this like, I know that you know this, but is this like that ovulatory, like middle Schwartz where we have like some spotting there or- Early spotting in the follicular phase. Okay. And they're having vaginal dryness? Vaginal dryness as well. Yep. So if this is where a case that- going either supporting progesterone can actually be very helpful for mm -hmm. these females, especially in perimenopause, knowing that we are losing progesterone first. And this can be, again, and probably something we should say is when we say that progesterone, that it is declining first, it doesn't mean that every female has this 
exorbitant abundance of estrogen. Because as everyone here has discussed, when it comes to estrogen dominance, you can have like really low estrogen, but it still be, you know, dominant in relationship mm-hmm. to progesterone. Yeah, but right. this is where perhaps supporting progesterone could be helpful or even supporting those um, liver detox pathways to make sure that everything is flowing abundantly and clear. But that being said, this is also where I would encourage that if a female is going through vaginal dryness and she's having painful sex, remember that if that tissue is thinning, you are also more predisposed to infection, UTI, like all like any yeast infections, like this is skin of your body. And so if you are having this pain, you are not failing by needing to utilize HRT appropriately. Like you are not failing. I think that that is something I really happy I could say on this podcast, because I think a lot of women feel that if they need to utilize HRT, that they have failed because they are using some sort of prescription like roadmap. And we're lucky enough that we have that. Like there's so many females that weren't able to be supported in that capacity. So I think that here again, be thoughtful to the clinic that you go to. Um, but it's here for a reason and you should not be having to suffer through that. So, but progesterone could also be the first answer that I would suggest over estrogen, depending on the female. Of course. Thank you. Jason, anything you want to plug in there? Anything you want to add to that thought? I think we made this kind of clear, uh, but I'm just going to put a button on it and then Mary can make a comment if she wants. I feel like, you know, women in this, you know, age range that are perimenopausal. Um, when, if you're a coach out there or even a, a female working through this, you have to look at all the systems. Um, you have to look at your, how your metabolic rate is because it's going to be affected when these hormones start to, to tank and that's going to affect your thyroid. And as Mary was talking about the estrogen, if that's dominant, that can affect your gut. So you could have, you know, gut problems. So there's a, all of this is encompassing and all plays off of each other. Um, and it has to be looked at kind of in a holistic way to, to put together a plan to then eventually help them with a lot of them want, at least my clients, fat loss. So I have to look at all these things, all these systems and get everything uh, rewired as much as we can. I mean, we can't make everything uh, undo everything, but uh, it has to be looked at from a total uh, viewpoint. Yeah. Now, Mary, if if we were to, so we're, we're we've been focusing a lot on individualized, you know, approaches and indiv- individualized understanding of each system, right? Now, if you were to be offer any sort of general supplementation um, advice for, let's say, a, a woman who's twenty five, and she's going to be, you know, thirty, getting into her thirties, what sort of supplements would you recommend that women can safely take? Um, to sort of ease, you know, their menstrual cycle and ease their transition into, into their thirties. Oh man, I have a really big hard time recommending a general supplement, um, because I truly believe and have seen in coaching, everybody is so individual and I've seen, like, we've all talked a lot of coaches recommending DEM, right. You know, uh, cycling, you know, everyone gets DEM, DEM for everybody. Um, and (laughs) (laughs) you know, that really could be a disservice to so many different. A hundred percent. Yes. You know, like, yeah. 
And so I really have a hard time. So I'm going to say something that is maybe a little not specific. I'm going to say, if I could pick some supplements, I would suggest a really great, um, perhaps multivitamin B complex, a B complex is fantastic. Um, cod liver oil, fantastic. Vitamin A is going to be supported there. Vitamin D. So we're going to be talking about immune system, um, fish oil. If you're not into cod liver oil, I'm going to say that's going to be my bread and butter right there is just basic supplements. And then it really going back to your nutrition. Could I say support your liver? Absolutely. But this goes back into that dim piece, right? Because anything I say that's going to be like general, oh, support your liver. Well, maybe I shouldn't be speeding something up that should be sped up. You know, maybe that should actually be slowed down. And so that's where the nuances matter. So I'm going to say, get your nutrition check. You're going to hate this, but really watch the alcohol. That's, that has no place. Honestly, when you're going through perimenopause and menopause, menopause, it really can be such a disservice. I know that everyone likes to have that glass of vino, but if you are really struggling, then I'm going to say that might not serve you. It might serve Karen down the road. Karen down the road might be able to do it, but you're not Karen. Um, So if you're a young female who is still cycling, you're in your twenties, make sure you're having ovulatory cycles because that is where bone foundation is happening with that progesterone and just keep it simple, keep it simple, get your sleep, drink your water, good nutrition, lift heavy, heavy shit, um, and look after your cardiovascular health. Yeah. How do you suggest they know that they're ovulating? What tools would you suggest? So I, I do like tracking your body temperature. So your basal body temperature, which would be they, my God, they have so many different apps. I think even now the aura, um, the aura is paired with natural cycle. I think that app or whatever. Yeah, that's like so wild. Um, so you can do it like a, a billion different ways, but I would suggest, suggest tracking your basal body temperature. You will see your basal body temperature, um, daily, and then you will see a slight rise. I'm talking like like a 10th of a rise, you're not going to see something wild where you go from say a 97.6 to a hundred, that would be called a fever. That's not, you know, <laughs> maybe, I mean, maybe it's like a hell of an ovulation to which you do, do. Um, but start tracking your basal body temperature. That's a really great way to look at thyroid health, adrenal health, because if you are ovulating and producing progesterone, that's also going to be nurturing to your thyroid. So we're going to see a basically a heat rise, a metabolism rise in your body, as well as hunger rise too. So that would be an easy way. Otherwise, tracking your cycle to see how long you're cycling. If you are not having a cycle that's anywhere, I'm going to say between 21 and 35 days, if we're getting longer than that, I would question that. That being said, if you are a 16-year-old female, that may be okay. Because perhaps you are still going through that first puberty and we are still in that period of estrogen dominance and we aren't Mm -hmm. ovulating yet. This is why also going to just lecture on PCOS, really be careful diagnosing yourself depending on what phase of female you're working with. Absolutely. Yeah. When teenagers are starting to develop their menstrual cycle, a lot of their symptoms may appear like PCOS. That's why PCOS is- Even an ultrasound. Like I had a- I had a mom, um, we did a consult and she said that um, her daughter was 16 and she said that she was diagnosed with PCOS. And I said, how? And they said, by ultrasound. I yeah. was like, well, damn straight. I hope she has yeah. a lot, you know? Um, yeah. You know, you can't really, that's not the only mechanism, but I told yeah. her, I was like, hey, you know, looking at 
her other tests, I said, this is something that you might want to just keep an eye on. I said, but because of her age, I said, absolutely. They're going to say she has, you know, multiple cysts. Right. Yeah. And it's hard too, because, you know, they almost appear insulin resistant as well. And there's oh, high levels sure. of DH in this in circulation. So it all makes it appear like PCOS, but, um, you know, going back to what you said about the, the tracking, you know, symptothermal method, it's called, you know, so you talk about cycle length, knowing your history, what the trends look like, knowing your basal body temperature, and then also tracking cervical mucus is also, yeah. um, you know, part of that symptothermal <laughs> method. But um, if, if anyone's wondering why, you know, your temperature increases when you ovulate, it's because progesterone suppresses TBG which is thyroid binding globulin. So you have more T3 and T4 available and that increases body heat. Yeah. And just know even with cervical mucus, this is where it gets in the weeds. And so if there's a coach listening, I want to throw this out before I say my next thing. Just because there's all these things to track with your client doesn't mean that it's appropriate to track all these things for your client. Okay. Um, again, going back to the basics, but like if a cervical mucus for example, with that, understand that we are going to see different types of cervical, cervical mucus. And if we have someone who is more estrogen dominant, when estrogen is high, we are going to also see an abundance or perhaps more cervical mucus. Um, yeah. But that's a really great one as well. But yeah, if a coach is listening, just because you can have your client track all these things doesn't mean you should. <laughs> Imagine a world where like, women aren't being put on birth control at like 13 and also the culture isn't so alcohol focused just imagine how much easier perimenopause would be <laughs> if oh women weren't set up to fail like at 13 and 14 years old that, that's it's, exactly what's happening right now it's a shame because i definitely don't want to poo poo on birth control um sure. because i am a female and I also remember being, you know, a 17 and 21 girl that didn't want to get pregnant. Um, you know, I think it comes down to having those conversations and then also remembering, because I've done some consults, you know, with some young women and I wanted it to create a safe space for them and know that there was like a no judgment space and also be able to educate them on what they are taking and what the future could hold. And I think that that's a really encouraging place to come from, as opposed to, you know, overwhelming a young girl who just really wants, and I hope I don't offend anybody, but man, she thinks sex feels good and she just doesn't want to get pregnant. And by overwhelming her and telling her, you know, oh, you're doing this to your body. You're doing like, honestly, she just, she just wants to have sex and have fun. And perhaps this is where that conversation and, you know, maybe parenting is here or whether it's, you know, school education, but talking to that girl and educating her that maybe there is other ways um, could be helpful, but I really don't want anyone to shame anybody for feeling perhaps that they, they need to be on birth control for whatever reason. You know, um, I have clients that are in such pain with like endometriosis. And we all here know that birth control is not a cure for endometriosis or anything for that matter. It does not cure. It does not make it go away. But when you have that person that literally cannot live their life, um, and they are willing to work on all those steps to make it better, perhaps them staying on the birth control while you help set them up, maybe that's the move to make and encouraging them that they 
can live without it, but you know, they are going to have to take some responsibility too. Awesome. Yep. Do you guys want to wrap up talking about training or weight training, cardio and diet considerations? Um, I know we've talked a lot about the hormones. I know we've talked a lot about how to track and all this stuff, but should women who are in perimenopause and might have these issues, do they need to adjust their training? Do they need to adjust their diet? What do they really need to do? Because I mean, I've seen people have hormone issues that two years later after doing nothing but fucking restorative yoga stuff said shame, shitty hormone levels. So I'm kind of like, what point do you get back to work? Like what you like doing and what got you in health and fitness in the first place? So I guess there's a lot of confusion about that because you see a lot of different things being said and so forth. Yeah. Do you want Mary? You want to go first? Yeah. I'll let Mary go first and then Jeff and Jason and we'll clean her out and see what's up. All right. Yeah. I'm, Oh, I feel like a broken record and I'm so sorry, guys. I feel no, like, no broken record. I feel here. like you it's like so individual for, for so many clients. I think that Overall, many clients that are perimenopausal and menopausal that do come to us, I think that perhaps when they're first coming to us and things are unmanaged, that perhaps we are telling them, hey, listen, you know, um, doing, you know, cardio uh, hit, you know, quote, hit for an hour, which God bless you if you're truly doing hit for an hour. Yeah, it's mostly um, those orange theory classes. <laughs> and, I don't know you, but I'll like, like diet at 20 seconds. But um, if we're doing, you know, these hit classes, like every single day, that maybe that's not the move to make. Um, that being said, for females that come to me, I want to make sure that they are enjoying what they do. Um, and that means I might need to have a conversation with them and I might need to say, Hey, listen, we can't do cardio seven days a week. Let's back down the intensity and let's, you know, do this as a trade-off or I give them a time frame, but I need to explain to them why I'm making those choices. And that's where it comes down to the individual. I have some um, menopausal women that are kicking ass, lifting heavy weights, yeah. um, but they have everything managed. They are not mm -hmm. struggling with their diet, their lifestyle, their stress management, their adrenal health, their immune system. If we can get that stress resilience going, then fuck yeah, lift heavy weights, you know, but it doesn't mean going back to the previous activities that got your ass in the situation that you're in, in the first place. True. True. Good point. Jeff Sue. Um, it's all dependent on stress. I would say, I mean, Mayor alluded to that. That's going to be the deciding factor for me on how I program women of that um, age bracket or demographic in perimenopause. Um, but for me, you know, I'm a big fan of lists for them. I rarely use it for women in that age category simply because it's just so stressful. Um, lifting, I don't really exceed four days. It's usually three to four. And we do train hard. You know, um, and I may implement some cycle syncing where, you know, I'm having them do more like a carb based or carb focused diet in the follicular phase. And, you know, we do more of a Mediterranean, low carb, higher fats, omegas in the luteal. And I will have them train harder in the follicular. And then we back off a little bit in the luteal phase. So. Jason, what about you? Most of the women I'm getting are, you know, in this demographic are chronic dieters um so i'm getting i'm not getting that person who's generally already been training all their life eating healthy you get that person sure keep 
keep them training hard. I mean, I, I, I did have one of those. She was a natural bikini competitor. She worked with me until she was about 52. We trained hard, but she's been training since she was 18. I mean, she looked freaking 35. But you get someone who's been sitting on a couch all their life and then dieting, you know, they do the dieting, they restrict all day and then binge at night is what I get a lot of. Um, I'm, I got to pull back. But again, the reason being is because there's so much stress on their body, their body's inflamed, their body's not going to recover with less hormones. So for me, you know, I'm pulling back on training, um, maybe three, three days a week to start, um, no longer than 45 minutes in the gym, uh, maybe an RP of seven. Uh, let's not do like failure techniques, things like that. I get them walking a lot. Like uh, Jeffrey said, I usually set a step goal, like find out where they're at and then make a little bit of a, an improvement to it. So if they're five, maybe it's 8,000. Um, <clears throat> get them walking a lot, get them moving. Um, diet wise, I generally go more towards the Mediterranean style with them, a little bit lower mm. carb. I find insulin sensitivity is almost faded in all these clients unless you get the one who has been doing this all their life um so that's kind of the, some of the considerations that uh that i take since you are the mac macro manipulator what macros do you normally start a person out with when you mediterranean is it 40 30 30 is it 40 35 25 or how are you figuring that out when you set them up? i don't really honestly anymore sit down and do like much with like you know, 40, this 50, that I, I just don't, um, a lot of it's meeting the client where they're at and then still building that diet to be Mediterranean. So what I mean is if someone comes to me eating 1100 calories. I might have a base diet that I built for its Mediterranean. I think it's like 1800. Well, I can't put them on that. No, you're right. So I've got to pull things down. So, I mean, you know, if my base diet's a hundred protein, uh, 200 carb and 65 fat, all those got to be pulled down. Um, and, you know, my protein might go from 100 to 135, depending on what I'm trying to do. Um, so I can't give you a specific uh, number because I don't really do it that way. I make sure there's plenty of fats for healthy oils and all the omegas and veggies and all that. But I don't have a formula I can give you. Do any of you guys use a formula? Just, you know, for coaches who are listening who might prescribe that, you know, for or what, listeners as well when they go down the dietary advice, because you do see a lot of that being thrown out there lately, or at least I have. I'll just say this, that if you are a coach out there that is putting people on macro ratios, you're a fucking moron. Like if you do 40, 40, 20, 30, 50, whatever. I don't think he meant that. He just meant how do we calculate it? No, no. I don't, I don't think that any coach is doing that. Like, yeah. Oh, there are, are, there no, there, no, there are coaches doing it. And I've seen it. Really? I'm also, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about like, cause you have listeners be like, all right, well, how the fuck do I figure out what of these 1600 calories I need to eat? What do I base out? Here's, we all okay. know, we, 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 we all know how we do it. Here's some general advice I'll give you. Sure. All right. Protein is going to be highly dependent on someone's muscle mass, their digestive capacity, because protein is hard on the digestive system. If you're stressed, they have low stomach acid, digestive issues, you're going to cause more problems than good if you give them high protein. And then also activity levels. So muscle protein breakdown, synthesis. I, I would say those are the three main factors that go into protein. If I were to give you a number, I would say anywhere from 0.5 to 0.8 times lean body mass. You don't need to support protein for total body weight because a lot of these women in this demographic that are perimenopausal, they carry a lot of body fat. So 180 pound, you know, 5'5 five, five woman, her lean mass is probably like 135. So you take 135 times 0.8, and that is your protein intake. Carbs, 
I would probably follow some of the same logic. Again, it's a lot to do with their activity level, their lean body mass, and also their insulin sensitivity. So you don't want to be piling on carbs with someone who is very sedentary and their fasted insulin is like a 16. That's not someone you want to put on a lot of complex carbs or any carbs for that matter. I'd probably use a lower carb approach. Then finally for fats, I would say don't go lower than 35. Maybe don't go higher than 70. I think anywhere from 35 to 70, plug in the rest of the calories. That's a good place to start. I don't think you can go wrong with that. That's what I was looking for. Thank you, sir. Welcome. Meredith, anything you'd like to sprinkle on top of that? Um, not so much on the nutrition. I think we did a great job there. As far as training, I know one thing that I have really learned is that, especially getting videos from clients, is that yes. most <laughs> when we talk about training to failure, um, at least the clients that I have, you know, seen when I first intake them most of them really don't know what that is. They know what it's like to get exhausted or get tired at the gym. But with regard to training to like mechanical failure, a muscular failure, many of them haven't ever experienced that. And that's, and that's something that I have learned, like getting videos with coaching, um, and so that has been a really awesome thing to watch my clients evolve with regard to their kind of training IQ and body awareness of what they truly are capable of, you know, doing their, you know, goblet squats with their 10 pound dumbbell. I'm like, girl, your purse weighs more than that. Like, come on. Um, so that's been an interesting piece too, is just educating on what, what they really are capable of doing. And it doesn't mean doing more of that. Um, we don't need to be doing, you know, you know, a zillion reps, but right. the quality of those reps, the quality of the movement mm-hmm. that we're doing is yeah. really important. They don't know how to push. It's like, it's like, imagine if you're constipated, you really got to take a shit and you're squeezing so hard. Like a lot of women are just like, ah, there's a bench press. <laughs> 10 pounds. Ah, I want you to dig and, and fucking take a shit on your muscles. It's like, fuck yeah, push it out. Push I love, I fucking like, love your analogies. It's like when you were, it's like when you were giving birth to like your three kids, like every time doctors like fucking push that head out. That's it. Wow. We went, we went somewhere, ladies and gentlemen. On that one. <laughs> Holy shit. Push that head out. I just, I just won't talk for the rest of this podcast. Yeah. I feel like this is going to oh go down God, sideways. This so traumatized. Mm. If you were in a birthing room, like I can't have, I God, can't have I, I, oh my God. <laughs> I swear to God, I would put my super up just to witness Jeffrey Sue in a birthing room with a, like, just like, fuck it. And then just like, just hearing the shit. Wait, wait, baby. Yeah, like, oh, he's so bad. And then his, like, dry commentary and shitty comments along the way would just be, like, El Perfecto uh-huh. to me. Like, he'd just be dry-ass I humor. Feel like, I feel like Jeff Sue in a birthday room would totally flip, and he would be just, like, this soft Crying. teddy bear, just be like, you're doing great. I got you. Wash Bye. rags on his woman's head, like, you're doing great. This baby's going to come out. My child support won't be that bad. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, like, like just pushing it in there. Um, you know, like, no, you don't want to do that to me. Promise. Um, Meredith, thanks as always for the convo. Where can anybody get a hold of you, follow you? This is a chance to give your, all your love. We know you work for Jason, but we don't care about that. So where can they find you? 
follow you. Yeah. So you find me on Instagram or Facebook. Um, Instagram is Maripachi underscore Scooby Prep. Um, and Facebook is Meredith Tolarzik Patchy. Okay. All right. Can you spell that? Because people yeah, are like, right? people yeah. message you guys. So I'm like, I don't fucking know. She's Meredith to me. <laughs> yeah. So last name is P-A-C-I. So M-E-R-E and then last name is P-A-C-I. Okay, cool. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. I feel like that was an awesome conversation. We actually really, I don't think, covered perimenopause yeah. like that and that yeah, kind of breakdown. So that was cool. All right. Well, you all have yourself a good day and enjoy yourself. See ya. See ya. Yeah.